Hello, this is a Catholic Concern for Animals podcast. Readings from the Ark, number 10. Bruce Kent, an appreciation. Written by Dr. Gerald Taylor and read by Dr. Gerald Taylor. The public image of Bruce Kent was of an individual with staunch, stubborn, passionate beliefs whose actions were based on rock-solid principles. Some will have seen him as a fanatic, unreasonable and incapable of persuasion. For many, he was a radical utopian, demanding impossible dreams. This was not the Bruce Kent that those who had the opportunity to meet him would have known. I met Bruce only briefly on a handful of occasions, but the impression Bruce left on me was a man not only willing, but keen to listen and open to persuasion when you could convince him that your arguments were better than his. This, for me, is the fundamental paradox at the heart of Bruce Kent, an attentive, listening and persuadable man with unshakable, passionately held beliefs on which his life was led. It seems to me difficult to understand his life without understanding this paradox in his character. After all, his upbringing was orthodox, conservative, even privileged. My first meeting with Bruce was when he was talking at a CND meeting in the early 1980s. As usual, his speech was peppered with personal anecdotes, amongst them a tale of when he was a schoolboy and his school was visited by a missionary priest who was working in Africa. To raise funds, the priest told his audience that for a small donation, he would christen an African convert with the name of the boy who donated. Bruce added that to his embarrassment following that visit, there is now some poor individual wandering around Africa saddled with the name Bruce. From these beginnings, the young Bruce Kent went on to two years national service in the tank regiment, and then to graduation with the law degree from Brazenose College, Oxford. No sign of the great radical to come here, nor of the priest whose faith would underpin that radicalism. Indeed, the public view of Bruce Kent would not be set until I met him in the 1980s, when he was the General Secretary of CND and in his 50s. Bruce became a public figure, not because he sought it, but far more because he was in the right place at the right time. He became General Secretary of CND in 1980. The organisation was in a lull, boasting no more than 3,000 members and making little public headway with its arguments for nuclear disarmament. Within a few years, thanks to the political stances of Prime Minister Thatcher and President Reagan and their joint pursuit of a second Cold War, Bruce was addressing rallies of 250,000 in Hyde Park and the CND membership had risen to over 30 times greater than its 1980 level. During this period, Bruce was a key organiser and participant in some of the most important and significant political protests in British history, notably the growth and development of the peace camps led by the women-only camp at Greenham Common. The growth of CND as an organisation and its influence owed much to Bruce's genius. That genius lay in working with diverse and disparate groups and individuals and getting them to work with each other and in having a talent for sticking to beliefs which proved difficult to criticise or denigrate. At the same time the CND rose to become an organisation of international significance, other left-wing groups 
notably the Labour Party, were struggling with perceived or actual infiltration by Trotskyite organisations. CND never faced any such perception, avoiding such attention through astute management. Another pitfall, exemplified by numerous accusations, particularly from Conservative politicians, was the belief that CND were financed by the Soviet Union. But no sign of the precious Russian gold was ever found. Bruce often commented that he wished CND were financed by Russian gold, but in fact Bruce was very cautious about where CND got their finance from. As Michael Evis recounted on the Glastonbury website, I met him first in 1981, when I presented him with a profit of that festival of £20,000. I had to persuade him that he should accept it, and that we were reasonable but slightly crazy people who supported CND wholeheartedly. He did, and from then on was always grateful for our support. He came to speak from the Pyramid stage several times, and inspired us all with his passionate oratory. Bruce wasn't the only association between CND and Glastonbury's Pyramid stage, of course, the CND symbol came to dominate the festival for decades into the future. So how did such a conventional individual become such a radical soul? The answer, of course, is in Bruce's experiences within the Catholic Church, coming face to face with the problems within the Church and those of individuals seeking answers from the Church. Such a listening and open person as Bruce could hardly fail to be influenced. Bruce himself described the change he went through in his interview with the National Justice and Peace Network. My three years at university and six years in the seminary taught me more about charity, but not much about justice. Much later, my unexpected trip to Biafra during the Civil War showed me how cynical international politics could be as Britain sold weapons while people starved. Working in Calcutta, as refugees flowed out from East Pakistan, made me think about causes, not just symptoms. So did my association with War on Want, always radical and convincing. Peace, I then began to understand, had to be based on justice. Arguments focusing on the immorality of nuclear armaments, such as those proposed by Archbishop Thomas Roberts, and his work as personal secretary to Cardinal Heenan as a parish priest, and then as Catholic chaplain at the University of London, brought Bruce directly into contact with the moral and political struggles of ordinary people at a time of enormous social change. Through it all, Bruce listened, and Bruce learned, and Bruce became the mild-mannered, caring, steadfast and committed person who influenced so many and affected so much. Bruce's influence is not confined to nuclear disarmament or to the Catholic Church, as the tributes to him on his passing have shown. At the time of his death, Bruce is a Vice-President of CND, a Vice-President of Pax Christi, and Emeritus President of the Movement for the Abolition of War. He was a patron of Compassion in World Farming, and also, of course, a patron for us at Catholic Concern for Animals. He was awarded the Lambeth Cross for Ecumenism by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and was warmly regarded across many faiths and by those with none. Bruce never saw the diversity of his interests and engagement as weakening his underlying principles and beliefs. On the contrary, they arose from them. To quote his words to the National Justice and Peace Network again, All issues of justice interconnect. 
I get fed up with people who tell me you ought to put your efforts instead into this issue rather than that. The real problem is that so few people, even in churches, are engaged in any social change movement. Apathy and political impotence are major problems today. My own focus is on ending war, the elimination of nuclear weapons and building the culture of peace. But the field of justice is a very large one. I see myself as being in partnership with those who are working against racism, to eliminate cruelty to animals, for decent housing, for a safe environment, for less violent media. The list is endless. That was a reading from the arc number 10, Bruce Kenton Appreciation, in the Catholic Concern for Animals podcast series, written by Dr. Gerald Taylor and read by Dr. Gerald Taylor. Thank you.